This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Hi and welcome to the Alcoholics Anonymous radio show here on Plains FM 96.9. My name is Louise and I'm an alcoholic. The purpose of this show is to increase public awareness of Alcoholics Anonymous as an effective means of recovery from the disease of alcoholism. Our show has two parts. First, we'll talk a bit about alcoholism, what it is and what AA can do to help. Then we'll interview a recovering alcoholic who is an active member of AA. I'm now going to ask our guests to introduce themselves and read the AA preamble, which is read at the start of every AA meeting. Hi everyone, my name's Sarah and I'm an alcoholic. AA preamble. Alcoholics Anonymous is a fellowship of men and women who share their experience, strength and hope with each other that they may solve their common problem and help others to recover from alcoholism. The only requirement for membership is a desire to stop drinking. There are no dues or fees for AA membership. We are self-supporting through our own contributions. AA is not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organisation or institution. Does not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorses nor opposes any causes. Our primary purpose is to stay sober and help other alcoholics to achieve sobriety. Thanks, Sarah. So what is alcoholism? Alcoholism is a disease, not a disgrace. There's no shame in having an illness or a disease. An unusual feature of this disease is that it will do whatever it can to convince you that you do not have it. However, once it has a hold of you, the progression of symptoms is like the classic disease model, and the victim is as helpless as a sufferer of cancer. If you are an alcoholic, you're at the beginning of a long road that usually ends in one of three places, prisons, institutions or death. If you think this sounds dramatic, we can assure you that our collective experience has shown this to be true. The challenge is to convince the alcoholic to admit that they need help and become willing to seek it. Denial is a major symptom of alcoholism. The alcoholic is often the last one to recognise it and admit that they have it. Our definition of alcoholism is it is an allergy of the body coupled with an obsession of the mind. The allergy is the physical aspect of the disease. After having the first drink, the phenomenon of craving develops and we lose control over when we will stop drinking. The old saying is, one is too many and a thousand is never enough. And yet, because of the obsession of the mind, the mental aspect of the disease, the alcoholic is compelled to keep picking up the first drink. And this is what makes us powerless. We often hear from sober alcoholics that many doubted whether life could be fun without alcohol. Fortunately, those same people report that their lives have improved dramatically since they became sober. The 12-step program of recovery, which is discussed at meetings and which is outlined in the Alcoholics Anonymous Big Book, is how we get sober and maintain our sobriety one day at a time. This program has a proven track record of helping otherwise hopeless alcoholics to achieve long-term sobriety and recovery. It has taught us how to enjoy life sober. 
Okay, for anyone who's just joined us, you're listening to the Alcoholics Anonymous radio show here on Plains FM 96.9, and we're just about to interview an AA member who's going to share their experience with alcoholism. Sarah, welcome to the show. Thank you. Would you like to tell us a little bit more about who you are, how old you are, how long you've been sober? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I am 50 years old, ouch, and I got sober in my early 40s. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm a mum, I'm a solo mum with a son who's 21 years old, um, and I work full-time and have been in recovery for seven years. Wonderful. All right. So let's talk a little bit about your childhood and what it was like growing up. Um, Oh, such a loaded question, that one. Um, So I come from a working class family out West Auckland. Um, I had a particularly strict father and I went to what I would describe as a fairly average West Auckland um, school. Um, When I was younger, I always had that feeling that I didn't really fit in anywhere um, I always had a group of friends and a flock of people to hang out with and, um, you know, I was a bit of show-off and I was be able, able to attract people to me. But um, I always had this underlying feeling that um, I wasn't the same as mm. everyone else. And for me, um, even when I was hitting intermediate at, say, 10 or 11, um, round about that time I was like... What else is out there? You mm. know, I can remember even as early as that sniffing twink thinner <laughs> in class to get wasted. Um, we were just, uh, and like I sought those people out, or I don't know, mm. maybe those people were magnets to me. Um, but I was always able to find the people who thought like I thought, mm. and we were always looking for the next thrilling adventure that was off the radar with parents and mm. teachers. Mm. So let's talk a bit about your drinking in that case. How did how did you start drinking? You know, um, how, tell us about that. So how I started drinking could probably be summed up with great gusto. Um, the first time I drank, I got absolutely blackout drunk. Um, me and my friend Sharon, who lived across the road, I think we were twelve at the time, drank a whole bottle of fizzy wine. And I went home and um, was eating at the table with my family and couldn't even get some rice on my fork. And my dad lost the plot. Um, And, you know, there were a lot of threats around, you know, if you ever drink again. But it was too late. I was unlike... From the word go, as soon as I had some, I was like, this is the business, you know. And I've never, ever been somebody to have a drink to get mm. a buzz on mm. um, I want to get wasted I want to have a good time um, I've always always loved right from the start that when I take a drink to me it seems like it makes everything mm. like I want it to be that's the people the situation that I am in and who I am, you know, all of those things all all of a sudden clicked into place for me. 
So what that meant was I spent all of high school trying to get my hands on alcohol, mm. you know. Mm. I dated the older guys because they had access to it, um, was hanging out with people. We were rip- ripping off um, parents, liquor cabinets. It was just anything. Mm. And, you know, I wasn't just doing it to be the cool kid either and be part of the rebels. I mean, I can remember stealing my dad's beer and drinking it on my own when Mm. no one was around because, you know, he left it there unguarded. (laughs) So what's a girl going to do? And and so, you know, high school, hanging out with kids – what was it like when you sort of moved into early adulthood and and did it progress, did it change? Um, moving into early adulthood, I don't know if I transitioned into adulthood as such. <laughs> um, I definitely got older. What basically happened was, um, you know, I was already hanging out with an older crowd. I moved in with a guy who was a few years older than me. I hung out with people who liked to party hard and then I just spent these years just mm. um, getting wasted. That's what we were about, you know. We were about doing it on the weekends. I moved out of home as soon as I could at 16. Mm-hmm. We were Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday afternoon, you know. Mm. Um, during the week, we'd smoke a bit of weed. If we could get our hands on any drugs, we'd be doing that. Um, although at that time, the only thing that was around in my circles was like acid or speed Mm. and um, of course the bonus of speed is that you can drink more Mm. so it's a one-one when you're looking for that buzz. So at any point during that period were there either A consequences or B something in you that told you this isn't normal maybe I should do something about it? Um, certainly not. Maybe I should do something about it. One hundred percent. There were so many consequences. You know, I couldn't list all the consequences that they were. I had people who pulled me aside from a young age mm. who were in my so- social circle who were like, "You are legitimately out of control. You've got to pull mm. it into line." Wow. And when people would say that to me, I'd think, "I've just got to master it." That's mm. all I've got to do is I've got to master it. I've got to build my tolerance. And mm. I spend a lot of time, um, it seems so ridiculous now, but trying to pep my talk into being like not too drunk. So before <laughs> I'd get on it, I'd be like, don't get smashed tonight. You know, don't be the drunkest person there. Um, none of that worked, obviously. Um, I can't count the amount of times that I woke up where I didn't know mm. I was, didn't know what happened. And I always used to be blown away by how blackouts would happen. What used to surprise me about them is they could happen after one drink or 12 drinks, Mm. you know. They're just like, they're just like the surprise factor, yeah. And, um, you know, talking about consequences or impacts on your family, your relationships. Yeah. So... um, Never-ending consequences on my relationships. Um, It impacted all my friendships. Um, Every relationship that I was in, um, the people that I was attracted to. Um, I mean, as time went on and I started hitting kind of mid-late Thursdays, I lost a hell of a lot of friends who Mm. were really tired of it. 
you know, by the time I was in my late 30s, I didn't have any family members that were speaking to me and I was completely isolated out. Um, I didn't know how to be in relationships mm. with men. I would, um, I didn't know how to even have a conversation around, you know, ending the relationship or anything really. I was just, mm. I basically let alcohol drive the whole show watch the train wreck unfold and then I was like oh well at least I don't have to deal with that anymore and I just set another bridge on fire and then Mm. I'd move on to the next thing Mm. but eventually you just run out of people. And so let's talk about you know for you what was your what was it that you know brought you into recovery or what some people describe as their rock bottom? Um I think I've had several rock bottoms. Um, A few people were starting to throw around the word alcoholic about me and it had stopped being as a ha-ha joke that could be laughed off. Um, But what used to get me is I used to wake up at about like two or three in the morning and um, I wouldn't be able to stop my thoughts and like my thought would be, you know that this can't go on, you know that this isn't normal. And I lived with that for about two years. It was really, really torturous. And then I thought, oh, you know, it's not the drinking. It's the shitty upbringing that you've had. Mm. So if we fix these circumstances, then you won't need to drink so much. So I went and saw um, a counsellor to tell her about um, poor me and my poor upbringing. Mm -hmm. And um, luckily the woman was onto it and she was like, you know what, you need to um, have a look at a CADS program and that kind of was the start of my journey into getting sober. And so that's a community-based service? Yeah, so um, I had tried CADS before. I tried a controlled drinking program. (laughs) How did that go? (laughs) Um, Hilariously, I mean, like, if you're going to count your bottle caps, it's really hard to keep track of them when you're drunk. And... um, nobody's doing glasses of water in between. For me, it was a complete waste of time. Mm. And I also think that um, while I appreciate the work that they're doing in the community, there's a lack of understanding Mm. around alcoholics. Um, So I was very grateful when I found the um, CADS program that was a complete abstinence program. Mm. And at the time, I didn't understand, you know, AA was part of it. If they'd said that to me, I... I probably would have bailed, you know, but I was like, yeah, I can do four nights a week, three hours as an um, outhouse um, rehab program. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was desperate. I was so desperate. You know, I just, I just was so, so uncomfortable with my, in my own skin and ashamed. And, um, and I just didn't have anywhere else to go. Like I was out of options. Mm. This was it. Mm. So tell us about then your first AA meeting. What was that like and what were the people what were the people like? Um, the first AA meeting I went to a couple of years before I got sober mm-hmm. um, and I was like, this is some off-the-wall shit and I left. Mm-hmm. Um, when I went back a couple of years later... Um, it was mortifying. It was really hard. I don't. I've heard people talk about, you know, how many things they heard in their first meeting that they related to. I just 
walked with so much shame and horror mm-hmm. and disbelief about how I'd come to be there that it was really hard to hear anything. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't understand the lingo and um, I just didn't get it, you know. And probably what caught me out and kept me coming back mm. were there a couple of people who were really not pushy and they were just friendly and they just said stuff like, hey, I hope you come back next week, you know. Mm. Anybody who'd come on too strong to me at that point, I would have recoiled from. Mm -mm. And so I guess take us through that process of breaking it down, getting used to the lingo and to the point where you started to relate. Sure. Um, Part of the CADS program was that you attended AA meetings and um, I called up an old neighbour who I knew got sober and she took me to a meeting which was quite an intense meeting and um, what I, the the kind of the conclusion that I came to myself was that they're not all the same and I kind of Mm. treated it like a project and I toured around different AA meetings. Mm. I had tried going with people who were in my kids um, program with me kind of as a buddy system for support but for me I found it was actually more powerful to go on my own and I just like I say I was still desperate and I just kept trying all these different meetings to try and find where I would fit Mm -hmm. and this woman had said to me you know you will find your place you'll find your place and I was like whatever Um, and I went to a couple of like AA and NA meetings and I was like, oh yeah, I want to be where all the cool kids were at. And that wasn't where I ended up. I found like quite a small meeting that was like a very comfortable um, room of people who were very gentle with me and gave me such a sense of security that I was slowly able to expose who I was in a safe environment Mm. and learn to understand it myself, you Mm -hmm. know. And it no longer mattered to me, you know, to be hanging out with the cool kids and all the rest of it. Mm -hmm. What mattered to me was being able to understand what was going on. Mm. And um, and the first part of that was, um, I guess, understanding what it means to be an alcoholic, which is a ride. It's Mm. just a ride, Mm. yeah. So tell us, you know, how have you managed to stay sober? How have I managed to stay sober? Um, One, I was really lucky in that I had so much fear and I was so scared. And when I was told to do things, I did them. Um, I heard a lot of things over and over that sometimes meant nothing but came to mean everything. Mm. And those things were, you know, keep coming back, go to meetings, get a home group and get a sponsor. Mm-hmm. Um, when you first hear that lingo, you're like, what? Um, and like home group, I thought, oh, here we go. It's going to be like a church group where I'm going to be locked and loaded. Um, and it wasn't a case at all. It was just a group that I was committed to turning up to that group every mm-hmm. um, single week. And those were the people who really made it safe for me mm-hmm. to expose myself. And um, and I had a sponsor who was um, honest, 
and gentle and pure in her program mm. and that she carried a really strong message and I wanted what she had, mm. you know. And the stuff that I was told, told at the start, I've never let go of that, you know. In terms of, like, just keep going to meetings. I've had times where I don't want to rock up to meetings. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just so unbuilt. You mm. do it. It matters. Once you go, you feel better. Everything slots back into place. You regain mm. your sanity. It just makes sense. And, um, you know, we talk about AA as being a spiritual program, not a religious program. (laughs) What does that look like for you? Um, And, you know, how has that changed over the years or has it changed over the years? Yeah, um, the God factor for me, um, when I read the steps, I was like, it's not that I didn't believe in God. I just felt that it didn't apply to me because... The actions that I'd carried out while I was drinking had discounted me mm. from God. Um, and God's such a cumbersome word. Um, so that was quite a tough one for me. And trying to work out, you know, what, like people were banding around these different words like higher power and God and all this. And I was trying to work out what God was. And I just about drove myself mental over it, <laughs> like just like... Just I was like, it is this, it isn't that, it is this, it isn't that. And after I'd tortured um, um, some other people with it as well, (laughs) um, I was advised, you know, don't try and work out what it is. And so I stopped doing that. And it has taken a shape of its own. And, um, you know, to define it for me so hard now, what Mm. I'd say is that it's... So it feels so cringy to say it, but I'll just get in there and say it. It's like, it's a combination of a higher being and a higher power than yourself that's steering you in the right direction. It's a combination of the goodness in you that you think's not there that also helps steer you in the right direction. And it's it's doing the right thing. And all of those things lead to, um, you know, what alcoholics refer to as serenity which I never thought I wanted, but I wouldn't be without now. Mm. Um, so God's definitely changed. Like I used to be like, oh, I'll be judged for that. I can't do that. I think, you know, my God or higher power, whatever terminology you're using, um, isn't soft. Mm. It's not going to break down because I have a, like a little tantrum and mm. use a few foul words or whatever. It's um, strong, loving. It's there regardless whenever mm. you're ready to utilise it. So, Sarah, tell us what's what's life like today? Um, it's very real, that's for sure. It's very real. Um all of the things that I turn to drink for, I have now instead of drink in tenfold. So, you know, like I drank to have relationships, to be able to speak to people. Now I have friendships with people that I want to be friends with. Mm. I don't waste my energies in areas that I don't want to be um, because I've faced what I consider to be my darkest fears. It allows me to live a fairly fearless life and mm. to take like quite bold steps that I wouldn't have taken 
if I'd never got sober. Um, by the time I was wrapping up my drinking career, you know, my mother, my father, my brother, my sister had had nothing to do with me for years. I have an incredibly strong relationship mm. with my mother, a good relationship with my father, working on a relationship with my sister, which okay. is friendly, um, and an okay relationship with my mm. brother. Mm. Um, but more important than any of those relationships, have a good relationship with myself. You know, I know mm. if something's going south with relationships, I can look at, is it me? And if it's not, leave it alone. It's not my business. Mm. What um, what would something you would suggest for any listeners that think they may have a drinking problem? You know, what are some of the questions they could ask themselves? Um, first of all, I guess if you're asking yourself, "Do I have a problem with drinking?" There's not people out there I don't believe who are asking themselves a question and they don't. If you're asking it, it's probably because it has some. Um, consequences or it's creating some issues um, for you or it's nagging in the back of your conscience and that in itself for your own peace of mind is worth exploring. Mm. Um, I guess the other thing is, you know, what is worst case scenario in terms of if you rock up to an AA meeting just to check out what's going on? Nothing else. You get an experience that, you know, you might not get mm-hmm. otherwise, right? So why not go see what's going on? Do mm-hmm. what? Go to an open meeting and check it out. Mm. And um, just ask yourself, you know, is this how I want to live my life? And is this who I want to be? Mm. And am I really my authentic self right now and the best version of myself that I can be? Because if you're not and you think it's alcohol that's stopping you being that, then um, get on the journey, you know. It's it's hard and it's amazing and it's powerful and it's life-changing and I've never, ever heard anyone go, wish I hadn't started that. Um, <laughs> I don't know any alcoholics in recovery with regret for getting into AA. What I have heard is regret for not getting in sooner. Mm. But that said, you get there when you're meant to get there and it's never, ever, ever too late. Well, Sarah, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your, your story with us. Lovely. Thanks for having me. For our listeners, if you've related to anything that you've heard or would like some more information about Alcoholics Anonymous, you can look us up on the web at www.aa.org.nz or you can call 0800 AA Works. There are over 60 meetings a week in Canterbury, so it's likely there's one near you. Join us next week to hear from more AA members sharing their experiences. Our show airs every Monday at 5.30pm on Plains FM and repeats on Wednesday at 12.30pm. You can also find podcasts of our past shows on the Plains FM website or you can download, subscribe and listen on iTunes and Spotify. That brings us to the end of the show. Thank you for listening and remember, if you want to drink, that's your business. But if you want to stop, we can help. You don't have to do it alone. We will now close the show with a serenity prayer as we do in every AA meeting. God, God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, 
courage to change the things I can and wisdom to know the difference. You've been listening to the Alcoholics Anonymous radio show on Plains FM 96.9.